shoot the glass. Ho, ho, ho. Now I've got a machine gun. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Welcome to Action at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of action in Die Hard. That's it. This is a one-off episode. We're just talking about Die Hard. It's our Christmas special. Merry Rickmas. That was it. And you are Abby. I'm, I'm Abby. Frida. You're Frida. I'm Frida. <laughs> and fine we can tell people that, I guess. Oh. We've had so many dramas. Yeah. First, it started with Frida having a filter on the video that she could not get rid of. And then I crashed. If you haven't Abby seen crashed. Frida with red eyebrows and giant pink lips, I mean, you're really missing out, man. <laughs> I was like a geriatric being like, how do I remove this? Why was it on there in the first place? I know why. I just realized why it was on. Because I left Raph on his piano lesson. I had to run out and I asked a neighbor to sit in on his Zoom piano lesson on this computer. And naughty boy, when mum wasn't there to watch over him, he put a filter on his own face. So the whole piano lesson is sitting there with... Pink lips and green oh. eyebrows or whatever it was. Oh, God. <laughs> Naughty ref. We figured it out eventually, though. <sighs> Anyways, Merry Rickmas. Merry Rickmas. <laughs> this is the new thing. This is my decision. This is our second year, year doing a Christmas special that features Alan Rickman. So I know Rickmas is like really Rick Astley kind of vibe, but okay. I'm taking it over for us. And I'm determined that every Christmas special that we do from now on will only be an Alan Rickman movie. Yeah, because there's also Love Actually that's got a vibe. I was just going to say, already know what we're doing next year. <laughs> Which I've never seen. <laughs> oh, yay. Oh, I love that's that right. movie so much. I don't know how we can science it. We don't care. We don't really? care about science. It's Christmas. <laughs> the science of love. Yeah. That's it. Love at the movies. Ugh. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll think about right. that. That's a next year's problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Shall we just get into it? Bloody hell, let's let's just get into it. All right, I've got a little brief summary here. New York cop John McLean stumbles across a terrorist plot that's actually a heist when awkwardly visiting his estranged wife at work in Nakatomi Tower. Brimming with Christmas spirit, this movie has fights, come-ons, broken furniture, bodily fluid, and of course, the office douchebag. It's a classic office Christmas party. Oh, and there's a bunch of bad guys that went to Stormtrooper Academy. Barefoot and pissed off, McLean comes face to face with Gruber himself and the bad guy falls from his throne to a grisly end. Christmas is saved. yippee ki motherfucker. Hey. <laughs> That's it. Straight in. I used to Just say that. In. Yeah, straight in. Okay, let's go. I mean, it's diehard. We, I mean, yeah. we love it. Let's break down why, I guess. Yeah. I mean... Do you know what's really funny, actually, because when I was watching it, it's one of those movies and I have the exact same feeling with a couple of specific movies where it's like it's always on. It always comes on. And and we're going to talk about why it's a Christmas movie in a while, but because it is, I'll not hear anything against it. But it it's that thing where I rarely sit down and watch it from start to finish intentionally. It's more like it's just always on the TV. So I just watch it. And then there's all yeah. those iconic scenes in it that I'm just like, well, that's what sticks in my mind. So when I was watching it for this, I was like, I just completely forgot how it started. The whole opening, I was just like, oh yeah. 
<laughs> you just remember all, right. all the the stick in your mind action bits, which is so good. A hundred percent. Yeah, it is always in the background. You're always catching bits and pieces. Always. It's a conference. When was the last time I sat and watched it from start to finish? Not since. Mm. Not since I was a child. <laughs> a wee young one. <laughs> when I used to know how to work computers. It, um, yeah, even when we get together and watch it like as a Christmas, Christmas movie with friends, it's always just on in the background. We're not yeah. actually sitting there watching it. Yeah, that's what you meant. <laughs> Okay, That's what so you meant. Well, will we just get straight into some iconic scenes that we're yes. into? Yes. Yeah, what have you got? Yeah. All right, I've just so I only kind of picked out two really that I wanted to. I've got two scenes and two deaths to kind of highlight. Uh-huh. Um I've, do you have much many more? I have pages. One one particular scene I want to highlight okay. and then just another thing that I want to highlight which is not a scene as much as like a, a, a thing yeah. about the movie. Oh, yeah, and I've got my deaths. Sure. All right. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I'll... So, I just wanted... One scene that I want to bring up, and it's not even one of those iconic scenes, but it's just something that I just really enjoyed, is the first bit where the where the, the robbers exit the elevator with the guns into the Christmas party. There's mm-hmm. something about that moment that I really love, because they come out of the elevator, they're all standing there with guns, and the Christmas party is just still going on. And I feel like in other movies... You get like an immediate reaction. People start screaming and panicking. But there was a moment of calm and silence where you go, well, yeah, because who's going to notice straight off the bat? And I just like that they just stood there for a minute and it was just like, oh, I don't know why. I just, I really I agree. It. I know what you're talking about. I know because yeah. it's like everybody's distracted. Everyone's having a party. No one's really paying attention. It takes like a, a minute for everyone to realize what's yeah. happened yeah. and even if you saw it would you immediately clock it like you just see some guy standing there with a big gun would you immediately go like oh something terrible or you're a little bit drunk and tipsy at your christmas party you'd be like, that's weird that's weird or is this some kind of show yeah <laughs> yeah what's that nakatomi up to <laughs> yeah and i always think it's like only when the guy they the first death do people really clock yeah what's happening <laughs> I love I love uh, the chaos totally the just yeah. confusion. The only the only other scene I wanted to bring up is just it's just a little moment because I just love it so much and it's just because it's so iconically Alan Rickman and Hans Gruber as well and it's just now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it in the voice. Can you do the voice? Ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. It, that, that's one of those things that just sticks in your mind for your whole fucking life. Yeah. There's so so many of those <laughs> those things. Okay, I've got a scene to highlight. Yeah. It's the scene where it's like the turning off the grid. Well, they're all arguing and there's the city workers sticking out of the hole and it's oh, just yeah. it's just chaos. And they go to turn it off. You can't. Yes, we can. No, you can't. Just just the level of the dialogue is is such a mess. And then one of them goes to the walkie-talkie and just like, "Say, listen, uh, would it be possible to turn off our grid?" 212 and you hear someone be like I am crazy <laughs> and then and then they do it and the FBI the, the, the FBI people are basically like the bastards are probably pissing in the pants right now and we cut to Theo opening the vault with a look of utter delight on his face <laughs> just the whole sequence and, and the, the thing FBI- yeah sorry no, I was just gonna say, just the FBI guys. I just—they were such cowboys. It was so funny. They were—they were literally comedy relief. Those two guys. Yeah, they're great. 
They're like, hey, we did it. We turned the lights off. <laughs> the backup electricity comes on, you know, they're all having a party in there with like the suits of armor and they're like the bonds. <laughs> it's just so good. So this is bureaucratic bullshit. I love it. Yeah. Um, and um, the thing I wanted to highlight, just the little thing was casually mentioning at the beginning, the owner of the building or the owner of the company is like, oh, there are several floors under construction. He mentions yeah. casually, only for that to become like the main set pieces. Just yeah. that little thing. I love, I love that. Excellent. Deaths. I mean, there's the iconic major one, of course. The only one that I wanted to bring up was um, the headshot to Nakatomi. I feel like that's like the first moment where you're just really kind of like, oh, this is the type of movie that we're in. Absolutely. Like everything up to that point is a little bit, but as soon as they're just like, okay, you, I don't know that you kind of understand or expect where the movie's going to go. And as soon as the headshot to Nakatomi happens and you're just like, oh, okay, this is where we're going. <laughs> mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. And I've, I definitely had something to say on that a bit later when we dissect the, okay. the um, anatomy of the film. Uh, the deaths, I mean, I know we're talking about some deaths later, but it's like, it's like when I watch it, I was like, oh, the chain choking, that's my favorite death. And you're like, no, actually, that was my favorite death. <laughs> like, they just get better and better. Yeah. But the one I really, really love and, and never forgot this either was the table death with the shooting up at the legs. Oh, the, yes. The terrorist is, is racing him to the end of the table. And he goes, what do you think, cowboy? No more table. Yeah. <laughs> No more table. <laughs> Absolutely iconic. And then what he shoots up up the legs, up through the whatever it is. The crotch, yeah. the legs. Never forgot that either. It's just it's such a funny line. Amazing. No more table, cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> I love the general admi- the the general they're calling him cowboy and it's like you know, you're watching too many American movies, cowboy, you know. <laughs> yeah. He says to people watching an American movie about a cowboy, like, he's <laughs> <laughs> making fun of us. <laughs> so good. All right. Do we do we need to talk about Gruber's death now? Now? Well, that's up to you. Yeah, sure. We yeah. don't have to. I mean, if you want to talk about it later, you talk about it later. Talk about no, it now. I mean, what else can we really say about it? It's just Today, one of tomorrow. The, it's just the, <laughs> it's just the most... The most iconic scene, like it is. It's, it's the watch. Just over well, and the, the over. The guns strapped to him. The duct tape. You know, it's like the whole setup. The yeah. chain death really is just wonderful. That chain choking yeah. thing. But yeah, it's the it's the watch getting rid of the wife's watch thing. It's all these little, it's all these little things. One after the other after the other. But, yeah, just trying to get the watch and Holly's screaming and trying to remove it. And and the way that, like, the slow motion fall back yeah. and then the speeding up and the look on his face. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. His beautiful, youthful face. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, we're going to talk about the characters in a minute, so I won't actually get into that now. But, yeah, it's it's just such a great – it's just such a great shot. Mm-hmm. For like it's just wonderful that the everything. explosion underneath him and just like, yeah, oh, it's it's just like a beautiful. Disney villain falling to their death on, on top yeah. of an explosion. You, you, a real <laughs> villain has to fall to the death into yeah. fire, like that's an <laughs> appropriate villain death. Hell. That's what it is. Scar, Scar dies like that too. Yeah. I mean, it's just so good. 
Well, so, and like speaking of the explosion and stuff, because I was going to do a little bit on the blowing up of the tower later and then I just was trying to read into it and there's so, actually, because, I mean, obviously because it's an action movie, there are so much visual effects and pyrotechnics that go on. So instead what I found was um, there is the company that did it, Frida, Boss Film Effects, they're the ones that, that did the visual effects for the movie. But the guy who set up Boss Film Effects, Richard Edlund, uh, he started out at Industrial Light Magic, who we have talked about oh. many times before. Oh. I just wanted to uh, mention that. But um, What movies? The Oh, God, didn't I do a list of them recently? The movies that Industrial Light Magic did? I can't remember. Loads. Loads of our movies. It's in a oh. previous episode. Okay. <laughs> Maybe Jurassic Park, I think. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't go so far as to write that down again. My brain can't remember. (laughs) Okay, but what I do want to say is there is an absolutely fantastic article on American cinema cinematographer on American cinematographer that goes through the whole movie. Uh, It's a really interesting read. So I've linked it in the show notes and you can just go and read that if you want to learn about Mm -hmm. how they did all of the action sequences and all of the pyrotechnics and the visual effects for the movie. It's like really long article, but if you're into that kind of stuff, it's totally worth it. So Frida, do you have any other comments you would like to make or anything on the production notes before we get into the meat of this? I have some cast comments. Well, yeah, so I figured we'd just talk about them with the characters. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay, I have I have some cast stuff we can talk about it later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what I want to do now is talk about the themes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And when I say themes of the movie, I would like to prove to you why Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Because that's the theme. It's Christmas. Do you agree that Chris, that that Christmas is a Christmas movie that Die Hard is a Christmas movie yeah but only because I've been told that so many times and I just accept it okay it's an accepted fact there is a debate about this and there are many articles out there that will say why it's not a Christmas movie and other ones why it is a Christmas movie so I have gone with the glory that is fandom uh, because fandom calculated it so they refer to it as science proving that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. They did just a little bit of data analysis. So I know you love a bit of data analysis. So would you like some data analysis as to why this is a Christmas movie? Go for it. I can't wait. Okay, so we select markers that are identifiable of a Christmas movie and count them to determine if it meets the industry standard. Now, in terms of visual and dialogue markers, Christmas trees. How many Christmas trees do you think that feature in Die Hard? Oh, gosh. Okay, well, obviously, there'll be a massive one in the party and then probably a couple other small ones in the room. And in offices, I'd say, they're probably little Christmas trees. Oh, and in the kids with the family home as well. So I'm going to be like seven. Eleven. Oh. Eleven unique Christmas trees in Die Hard. This is more than are featured in uh, Miracle on... Oh, my God. Miracle on 34th Street? Is that what it's called? I can't remember what the number is. Sure. Sure. One of the most iconic Christmas movies of all time. Uh, I'm so I'm so knowledgeable on it. Uh, more than are in Home Alone, another iconic okay, Christmas movie. There you go. Well, there we go. How many Christmas decorations are there? Like individual ones? Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell all me? Right, Fifteen. <laughs> Fifteen. Fifteen. Oh, okay. Unique Christmas decorations. 
As in like wreaths and things. Yeah. Okay. There are seven featured Christmas songs throughout the movie. Okay. They use the word Christmas 14 times. There are okay. four other specific individual Christmas references. Okay, all now you're going to have to compare it to... All of this racks up against... Uh, racking all of this up against traditional Christmas movies, Die Hard features in the top percentile. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you, talk, if you look at, like, its viewing figures, if you kind of say, okay, um, like, how, how often do people watch Die Hard? There was a 400% viewing increase in, uh, in the time range of November to December annually in people watching Die Hard. That's the evidence. See, yeah. that there is the most evidence that you ever need. Also, there is three other markers that you can use in terms of identifying a Christmas movie. Because a Christmas movie will have selflessness, generosity and altruism. And these can all be displayed in John McClane and his actions in attending this Christmas party and saving all of these people at great risk to himself. It's very kind of him. And also a message about family. Exactly. Like an It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. When he Because It's a Wonderful Life, is that specifically any more, like any more, any less Christmassy than Die Hard? The story is completely independent of Christmas celebrations. It's like a man finding his way yeah. back to his family on exactly. Christmas. And this Christmas. is how you measure what the level of Christmas spirit is oh. invested into a movie. And this movie is filled with Christmas spirit. And if you want to know about that, somebody wrote a fucking paper on how to measure Christmas spirit. So uh, I will I will also link that. So I present to you visual and dialogue cues, Christmas spirit representation, acts of kindness, selflessness, generosity and altruism. And with a 400 percent viewing increase in November and December annually, that Die Hard is absolutely without question a Christmas movie. QED, Abby. QED. Very good. Good old Christian values. <laughs> I didn't say Christian movie. <laughs> I did. Christian. <laughs> yeah, it's totally a Christmas movie, but I love that. The biggest evidence is that people watch it on Christmas. Yeah. We can't help it. I don't know. It's just like you do. It's just, yeah joy and spirit and happiness and he saves the day (laughs) (laughs) and he finds himself he finds it yeah exactly he does and he improves his relationship with his family and his wife even though they then went and made a bunch of other fucking movies and fucked all that shit up (laughs) i can't remember okay i can't remember well i know we've we've seen live free or die hard we saw a different die hard number four and she wasn't there no, yeah, exactly. Somebody else was like, it. fine, whatever. <laughs> yeah, let's just change the whole... I hate when movies do that. I hate when they're like, oh, we want to do a sequel, so now we have to destroy the existing relationships that we spent the whole first fucking movie building because there's nowhere for us to go. Let's move on. The point is, Holly Gennaro. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, tropes. I've got two. All right. I've My just first got one. one. Good. So you go first then. Okay, mine is just the tough guy hostage who does nothing. You know, the classic, 
office douchebag guy sleezing on Holly. Oh, Harry up. Ellis. Sprechen Sie talk? Can I talk about Harry Ellis here? Yeah, sure. Okay. I I just Hans Bobby. Is he supposed to be Jewish? Is he a Jew? <laughs> He's played by Hart Bachner, who's a Jew. And now, are the Jews correct? Okay, welcome to my section. Are the Jews correct in this movie? Is he supposed to be a Jew? I really hate that the guy that they're like, they're like oh. Jew baiting us is such a shit. He's such, he's the villain. It's yeah. like, it's funny. It's almost like the terrorists are the villain. It's him and it's like the news guy. But this guy is like so Jewish and such a villain. And that really fucking bothers yeah. me on a Christmas movie. He's like the Jewish Grinch in a Christmas movie full of like good Christian values. The villain is this Jew. Anyway, that's it. Okay. That was. I think I can that handle was, this Euro trash. Sprechen Sie talk? Yeah, so offensive. But also, I, didn't, just, I mean, just, I didn't pick up on any. On, uh, but I mean, I guess I wouldn't have. I he drops I a Yudi. He, he's supposed to be a typical '80s yuppie cokehead. Yeah, but he does drop Hans Bobby, which is Yiddish. Again, he could just be picking up on Yiddish talk, but uh, right. I feel uncomfortable okay. that they make this shitty villain in a Christmas movie kind of be like a hint of a Jew, played by a okay. Jew. Just saying, I don't like it. But one thing about Harry Ellis is that he's snorting coke in the beginning. Yeah. And then the terrorists bring him a coke. Uh. <laughs> As if he's asked for coke and they've brought him a can of coke. He asked for more coke, he's brought coke. And, and it's like convenient product placement as well, but it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> it's very good. All okay. right. All right. Well, that was Frida's segment. That was for a segment. And my trope of the week is a donut eating cop. Hey. But it wasn't donuts, classic. it was Twinkies. Twinkies. Oh, Twinkies is even more classic. Twinkies eating cop. The whole uh therefore my wife, she's pregnant, sure. <laughs> sure she is. And my second trope was the appearance of our Jacks of all trades trope. <gasps> Who's um who was our jack of all trades? Theo. Oh Don't yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Opening a vault that involves more than just hacking. Mm. There was some drilling. Yeah. There was some special. What what what's the instrument that I keep talking about in montages? <laughs> angle grinding. Oh yeah. Angle grinding. <laughs> <laughs> there was angle grinding. You know, it was like a full on chainsaw. <laughs> just <laughs> ooh yeah. chainsaw emerging. <laughs> Yeah, so Donut Eating Cup, Jacks of All Trades, which I find that just a hilarious way. I love when we get like our repeat tropes because I do feel like there's, I mean, obviously there's a lot of repeat tropes because, you know, that's tropes. Hello. But like, (laughs) I just really enjoy when when we do get to have like really specific ones that you can just go, oh yeah, there they are. That one again. (laughs) Jacks. And we we made it up. Yeah. So let's get into our, right, so this is where normally we talk about scientists. We kind of have one that we can sort of talk about, but we're just going to talk about good guys versus bad guys in action movies. Um, um, We will start with the good guys. 
Uh, we have Bruce Willis as John McClane, Bonnie Bedelia as Holly Gennaro, Reginald Bell, Reginald Bell Johnson as Al, Sergeant Al, and then Devereaux White as Argyle. That's about it for our good guys, isn't it, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd yeah. say. The pregnant lady. No. <laughs> All right, so how do we feel? What do we want to say about them? John McClane? I'm a New York cop. Gruff Dick Tracy. I don't follow no dame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> John McClane. Well, we can talk about Bruce Willis because yeah. here uh, he was, this was a, like he was a popular comedic actor from Moonlighting. Yes. And this was his first oh, action film. So it was like, it was an interesting like equivalent of Sam Rockwell in Moon type thing. It was like, oh, Really? That yeah, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Because like now, that's everyone. Everyone knows Bruce Willis. It's Die Hard. Like that's what you just—that's his kind of typecast thing. But that's not where he started from. No, yeah, he started from like a comedy romance, mm. and then it worked so well. But I guess did it maybe change the sort of archetype of the action action hero? Because before that, it might have been more like Sylvester Stallone and whoever the fuck yeah. else. A bit more kind of normal guy, isn't it? It's a bit more like he—he's literally just—he's a cop. He's a normal dude. He's in his bare feet, changing in a bathroom Mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, he's—he's mortal. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So good. Um, Holly Gennaro. Um. Great, strong, tough lady. Oh. I love the change of the last name. I love her little sort of subtle ways that she's protecting him. Yeah. She's like the real female hero, full of love. Love she, is her weapon. She's really wonderful. She mm-hmm. really like she's such a great like female kind of character. Um, I do calling think. her children, loving, present, mm. but as you said, strong, strong, independent, yeah. not yeah. like you know it's. She, well, it's not for a man. It's for the the love of her children. She doesn't need to be. She doesn't need saving. No, but yeah, it's not about you know. It's not her love for Bruce Willis. It's like her love for her children. I mean, she's just like obviously loves him, but I mean, like her strength, like the the fact that she, yeah, such a good mum. Yeah, and and she's not trying to like protect him, as you said. It's not necessarily that she's trying to protect him because she loves him. She's trying to protect him because she knows he can help. If they don't find him, he can help everyone. Mm. yeah like and she's also people. doesn't want to give away who she is because as well like they she yeah. knows how dangerous that would be to her yeah, yeah she's like calculating and she's you know she's very clever and a few steps ahead the way she comes in and negotiates for everybody she's like i'm in charge now who put you in charge you did would you kill my boss and yeah. you better get people taking turns <laughs> of the toilets unless you want to become very stinky in there and there's a pregnant lady, so you may as well get a couch. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. We respect that. They're like, look, we respect you. Yeah. That's it. It's very yeah. kind of, um, I like that she's not all bumbly and all like helpless and emotional and stressed. And she's just, as you said, she's she's in charge. She's great. Um, Sergeant Al Powell, Reginald Bell Johnson. Um, hey, welcome to the party. <laughs> Such a good line. 
Yeah, what do you think of him? I, I just know. like him. I like that kind of buddy cop vibe that they get going on between them. But it's not, it's not, um, because they're not in the same place together. It's not that stupid slapstick comedy vibe of the, you know, that partnership. It's more just a connection. It, it is that kind of hostage vibe connection of just, just helping each other out, keeping each other you know, him having a link to someone to talk to while he's running through this tower on his own. Him having that one person to talk to kind of helps to keep him going and helps push him uh-huh. to just make it through. Yeah. There's nothing particularly special about Al. He just happens to be in the right place, right time, slash wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Like he's just there. He just believes in the guy. He, you know, he's definitely pretty low down on the chain and they're like resenting him. Yeah. But he believes in him. That's nice. Um, That's nice. Okay, so Devereaux White as Argyle. Yeah. Pretty legendary stuff. I have to say, that limo driver. <laughs> Just his general obliviousness. But yeah, no, he's a, he's a good character. A little bit silly. A little bit silly, yeah. don't you think? Just a bit. He is, he's that little bit of comedy relief. He's that, you know... There's always one, isn't there? There's always one who's not really clear on what's going on. Who's not really up on the the um, the action that's happened. And just kind of mm. walks into the room full of bad guys going, whoa, what's happening here, guys? <laughs> but it's good. No, I love how he's like, look, man, you go up there, tell me, you know, and like, if you need me to take you to a hotel, I'll take you to a hotel. And he just like yeah. sits tight. He's trying to do a good job. Yeah. No, it's good. It's amazing how he sort of comes through in the end. It's great. Great little setup. So do you Sitting think we back. have a good good guy team helping each other out, <laughs> aiding the good guy to get to the... Um, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. I think the bad guys are a better team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah. Like John McClane has all these helpers, but it's really just John McClane. Yeah. It's really just John McClane against these... The bad guys. It's John McClane and his little informants and little, um, what is it? Supporters. In, in Sherlock Holmes, his irregulars, to help him out. But the bad guys, as you said, are a team. Um, they don't succeed, but <laughs> they do try to work together, led by, obviously, Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. I nearly cried when he came on the screen. From what emotion? Because you miss him? Yeah, because I miss him. (laughs) Colonel Brandon, I miss him. People love this character so much. Yeah. Why? Do you know what? So one of the things that I think is wonderful is it's that moment when John McClane comes face to face with him without knowing who he was. And he puts on the American accent and acts like one of the office guys. Clay. Clay. Bill beautiful Klein. change <laughs> in how Rickman plays the two characters to yeah. make you believe that he's a vulnerable like hostage oh please don't don't shoot oh no yeah it's yeah. so good it's so well played and it makes that character so much more interesting as a bad guy than any mm. other bad like just one dimensional bad like that it's it changes it and you just kind of go like oh clever clever exactly 
I do know that so so Willis was a pretty big star, and they and this is what Rickman says they they spent so much money on Bruce Willis that they had to cast like an unknown guy, which Alan Rickman was at the time. Amazing. And it's so crazy because he's never played another role like that ever again. It wasn't like he did that again ever. <laughs> it was just this one time that he just smashed it out of the park, and like never again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just so good, which is great because if he had, it might have sort of loosened the magic of this this crazy perfection yeah. in playing a terrorist. It's sad that he's gone. I know. It's like, it's so it's so weird as well when you kind of look back on things like this and you just see him being so youthful when, when then so many people who know Alan Rickman know Snape. Like, that's mm-hmm. what they know. And it's like, even though Die Hard is obviously like an iconic movie, for me, my Alan Rickman is um, Sense and Sensibility and it always will be Colonel Brandon. Like, that's my very, very, very Alan Rickman. And then obviously with Love Actually, like they're the four that I think are so well known Mm. to people. And then like on the nerd side, we've got Galaxy Quest because like, oh yeah, we not not love. (laughs) So the fact that he's like tailored and he's so, he's clean, his beard, his suit, Mm. he's like, He's just so put together, but also like his motivations are so great. He just wants money. Yeah. He's just like a bank and, robber. I love I love how clever that is. Yeah, it's it's that thing that you said. It's like we all talk about it as a terrorist movie. Hans Gruber is always referred to as a terrorist, but he, that was the whole point. It's like they they had this scheme, this this clever scheme of like we're acting as terrorists, but we really were just we're just robbers. We're just stealing money. We don't care about all these political things that we're throwing out there to confuse the masses and create this um this this idea with the police outside about what their what their aims and their goals are. They're taking hostages to be terrorists, and they're just like, no, we just want just buying for time to get into that vault, man get me that money i know Simple and it, it's funny how much people struggle to come to terms with the fact that they just want money they're like you're doing this for money I'm like yeah yeah a lot of i it, just like but yeah <laughs> I, a lot of it i just like the fine things in life yeah like the the guy that what, what um what's the what's the business what's the businessman what's the ceo called Nakatomi's disbelief but also just the general disbelief that people have around the notion that they're not doing this for idealistic reasons isn't that weird? Isn't that funny? It's like people are like, surely not. It's like, what's what's the better, what's the more pure motivation than money? Mm. And when he gets on the phone and he's like, all these terrorists set him, you know, set him free, and then he just starts laughing at himself. He's like, eh, <laughs> that'll keep him yeah. busy. <laughs> they probably freed some of them, you know. Like, <laughs> free. It's it's just it is, and it's played so beautifully by him as well. Like he's so believable. But let's talk about let's let's talk about Theo now, our our only kind of person that we can sort of refer to as a scientist, played yeah. by Clarence Gilliard, Clarence Gilliard, uh, or Codebreaker, hacker. Oh my the God! The quarterback is toast. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, the weird thing about Theo as well is like, his story's never resolved, right? Yeah, he's the only one that gets away. Yeah, you have to see like a deleted scene or so. I think there's something <laughs> in a deleted scene somewhere that has a confrontation with John McClane with um, with Theo, but... I always it's... love Theo. 
Always. <laughs> Do you know that the, that the actor, just quickly, Clarence Gilliard, is actually an associate professor of fine arts? Oh, yes. In Nevada. I read this. I read this. Yeah. Just, yeah, that's yeah. what he does now. That's just amazing. He's just Theo. But I always loved Theo. I also loved that he was a, like a black character who the, the character was just like wasn't embodying any like the roles that black people are usually slated to in films. Right. He was just not any of those things. And I, I remember that even like little recognizing that, that he was straight up evil bastard yeah. and very smart. And they weren't like yeah. putting him in any particular stereotypical role. Like Argyle's like put in a very stereotypical like role for a black actor, but yeah. Theo was like he was kind of like nobody. He I was remember really separate in movies. from it, wasn't he? Because he's not—he's separate from the terrorists or the terrorists. I just call them the robbers. I mean, he's one of them, but he's not—he's hired by them, I guess. Yeah, and he just seems to be off in his own little kind of land yeah. of enjoyment of the actual action of what he's doing is what he's yeah. there for and what he wants to do, and it's just kind of like I don't care what those guys are doing upstairs. I'm drilling into a vault. Oh yeah, yeah. He's so wisecracking. He's just, but he is just like evil. Yeah. He's just, he's just like, and I kind of love that. I love his unapologetic, just like shitty behavior. Yeah. He has got no soul, this guy. <laughs> Kill them all. I don't care. I don't care. Look at all this money. Like that scene where they open the vault is just with the Beethoven Ode to Joy, opening up the vault, going through everything. I mean, it's just such an iconic scene mm. where he's just so joyous and so happy and having the fucking time of his life getting paid See? so much money for this yeah They're full of joy total christmas movie that's how it works yeah yeah <laughs> and it's over to joy his, yeah and he's good and he's got his gifts you know it's bringing him happiness <laughs> Uh, do you have any other bad guys? I've got two honorable mentions that I want to say on the bad guys. Uh, I think we have to mention, um, well, Mr. Uh, Ghostbusters. Yeah, Atherton Probably. is a piece of shit in this one too, is the first Atherton. sentence I wrote down. That was my first honorable mention. Yeah. Yeah, and we did mention that our actor was like punched in the face more than once. Yeah. Is there thing playing such... Such an asshole. Oh, poor. Do you poor miss actor. your mommy or whatever? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how the the terrorists are almost admirable, but the real bad guys, Harry Ellis and Atherton, you yeah. know, those yes. are the actual villains of the film, and, and maybe a couple of police people, you know, that you're like, fuck you. But the terrorists, we kind of, you know, like we're not. We like them. It's that thing where it's like you can have <laughs> bad guys. That are good guys because it just depends on what your goals and your aims are. And you can have more respect for a bad guy who will kill people to get what he wants, but doesn't take enjoyment out of the hurting. Yeah, you're so right. Like, he's just like, look, I just want the fucking money. Just give me the money and I'll go away. But the ones who rock up where they're like, yeah. Yeah, know. they're not sadistic. You're 100%. Yeah. Like it's not, it's about money, which is relatable and they don't want any bother. They don't want any trouble. Although, you know, they're planning to blow up the roof. That's not the nicest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, I guess they were going to murder everyone. But, uh, yeah, know. you're right. <laughs> we did, yeah, but it there's didn't no, happen. There's it's no... fine. <laughs> yeah, but it's not as bad as, yeah, as you know who. Uh, I've got one other honorable mention on my bad guys. 
and it is sure one of the bad guys carl carl is the guy who has like a red fabio wig you know that guy yeah i don't know why but that actor with that red fabio wig on his head looks in every way to me like david tennant and the entire way through the movie all i kept thinking was oh there's david tennant again David I don't, I don't, I don't know. Let me see, Carl, Carl. <laughs> I don't know why, but it was just Carl Diehard. Oh yeah, no, good David Tennant. Yeah, but he's the guy with the chain, the chain uh, murder. It's the brother of Ho Ho Ho. Oh no, that's not. Oh, I got, I got it wrong. It's not Carl. Oh, who is it? Wait, who's the guy with the red? Okay, I don't know who it was. Now I've messed it up. It's not Carl. It might be okay. Fritz. Oh, he yeah, he does look like David Tennant. He totally looks like David Tennant. <laughs> he does. <laughs> yes, Fritz. <laughs> He's ridiculous. <laughs> I just saw a photo and someone said, I think about this diehard villain's great hair a lot. Yeah. That was like the... <laughs> The clickbait. That's the thing. The cut. That wig I think was that... just insane. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's uh, where we're at. So do we have anything else that we should say about good guys versus bad guys? No. I mean, in theory, uh, the bad guys should have won. Well. <laughs> but the bad guys always should have won. I really. have stuff to say about it in my little bit. Yeah. About. Okay. Well, yeah. we're going to move into that then because normally we'd go into the environment of the science, but uh, we're in an action movie. So I believe Frida has prepared us a little breakdown as to why Die Hard is a wonderful action movie. Right. So, firstly, like any good action movie, you need they need to set it up like swiftly. Right? The staging is totally unbelievable. Seven minutes in, I looked at the clock. By seven minutes, you already know. Separated career mom, two kids. Father misses his family, but he's enjoying the fruits of his freedom. All that's communicated like absolutely seamlessly. It's amazing. And then the first ha- murder happens fast, like you mentioned. It's And you're like, stakes are high. And then you have this incredible villain, obviously. And the terrorists are kind of like, they're good. They're smart. And they're kind of likable. And then you have the hero who's like vulnerable, relatable, and full of quips. And so this battle is kind of even. It's like you actually don't know who's going to have the upper hand. They're smart. The way they're like, he's on the roof, go to the roof. Or shoot the glass, all this shit. Like that they are good at what they're doing. And then the fight scenes are like fucking ingenious. They're completely unforgettable as proof by the fact that we didn't forget like the scenes that we're mentioning. Like they stay with us our entire life. But the thing is, they're so unforgettable, but they're actually just peppering on what's the amazing about the actual yes. film, which is people just hanging around at construction sites, stalking through corridors, <laughs> chatting, the walkie-talkie, all this kind of shit. So it's like, yes, there's this ingenious little tropey, you know, sort of action stuff and all these little, um, uh, like, great little plot points. Like like I said, all the construction site comment comes in later. Everything is like done so well the bare feet the glass like everything is so clever but it's got such a strong emotional core yeah and then he has that conversation and he talks about his regret i should have been there al i should have been there and it's like by the way again 
again, and we talk about this with Shaun of the Dead, he's another man with regret for not being there for his family. To which yes. I say, are you listening, man? Are you listening, man? <laughs> to the messages as being, you will have regret. I know it's fun being a single cop in New York, but you'll die with regret. Yeah. <laughs> he's about to die and he's like, shit, I'd made the wrong choices. I should have been there for my children. Yeah, you fucking should have been there for your children. So all in all, I think I just covered, you know, it's, it's paced so nicely, strong emotional core. That's the main thing about it is yeah. family, central idea, money, family, universal things. Yeah. I, I wrote down some of the quips if you want. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Let's get together, have a few drinks. That's what he says to himself immediately before saying, now I know what a TV dinner feels like. Which I did not get until, like, this year, what he meant. Do you get what he means? At what point was that? He is in the vent. And he says, now I know what a TV dinner feels like. Because <laughs> he's in metal. Wraps in metal. Oh. Because <laughs> a TV dinner is in aluminium. And that's, that's the thing, because that's obviously what he's doing. He's just sitting at home eating fucking TV dinners. <laughs> But before that, he goes, he's like, let's get together. It'll be fun. We'll have a few yeah. drinks. <laughs> and another great quip is um, when he kills Carl's brother, he's like, of all the terrorists, you know, I have to find one with feet smaller than my sister. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because the shoes. Yeah. But that was, that's the thing that this is the thing about it. There's so many little bits in it that are fucking clever. He doesn't yeah. have shoes on. He kills he a terrorist. He doesn't have shoes. That makes sense. Take the shoes. Like, do you know, it's a yeah. logical little bit to put in to go, yeah, he would take the shoes. And it makes sense that he's not wearing them because they don't fucking fit. And it's yeah, like, he makes a little funny joke about it. Do you know, I just, there's yeah. all those little things. And that's yeah. what I love. Like, because what happens in later movies and what the thing that we had, and it's so funny because it was around this time last year we talked about Die Hard 4 because we did it, you did it as the Hackers miniseries just before Christmas last year. So it was literally a year ago we also talked about Die Hard. But in the Die Hard 4 movie, the reason why it was so fucking terrible is because they sacrificed all of those wonderful kind of human bits for the action, for the ridiculous fight scenes, for the over-the-top everything. The ones where you just go like, oh, as if that could actually happen. Whereas you're right, with this one, it's like every fight scene is unforgettable because it's just a normal fight it's you know 100%. he gets into it he gets away but he's not unscathed he's covered in sweat and grease and blood and cuts and he's in pain and he's hobbling yeah. and it's like <laughs> it's all those things but it's all a bit more believable because mm -hmm. they don't try to overdo there's it there's an emotional weight we've spoken about this before with cgi that it takes out the emotional weight yeah and in this film it's like there's a weight to every cut he suffers he's not having fun He's yeah. not just like moving on. By the end of it, he's like so broken up. Yeah. You know, he's he can not barely a superhero. Walk. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, what What would be the real, like the closest thing we could get to a superhero? Yeah. Is somebody who's withstanding enormous pain in order to help yeah. others. It's the adrenaline pushing through to just get you through it because you're, you're fighting for your life. And, uh -huh. and that's exactly what it is. It is fighting for your life. Th th that glass scene... Also mm. completely unforgettable. But I mean, there is so much blood. Yeah. Mm. Right. So shall we get into our, well, science? 
because we do have stuff. We have some We've actual got stuff. It's very exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is, the, uh, that's the thing. I do think there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about in terms of action movies. But we've picked out a couple of more kind of fun, fun stuff because it is a Christmas movie. So the first thing that I want to bring up is a classic. So I'm kind of coming back a little bit to a trope situation here. Because there is a classic, classic movie, bad guy action trope. And that is that the bad guys all attended the Imperial Stormtrooper Marksmanship Academy. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, you know, when you were saying that before about like the fight scenes that like, you know, they fight realistically. I'm thinking yeah. about the way that they clearly don't know how to shoot a gun. It's like it's too powerful for them. It just shoots in random directions. This is the thing. And I'm just like, yeah. going, why, why, why do the bad guys always miss? They always miss. And the good guy always like bang on target shot. So you're like, okay, let, let's think about this for a second. And now there's obviously no realistic reason for this. I mean, other than furthering the story. But I did look at this. And there is, there is an explanation in the actual like trope side of it. But also Reddit gave me some great reasons, which I just think I should share. I just think it's a good one. So first reason why this could be, um, all the good shots get cast as good guys. All the good shots get cast as good guys. Yeah. Yeah, but the actors aren't good shots. Well, well, that's not what we're talking about here, Frida. Just take take your mind out of it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is This is a great one. Um, uh, the bad guys never get the good guys because the bad guys ruin their eyes and can't aim good because when they were kids they played too many video games and watched too much TV. (laughs) I mean, who's going to turn out to be a bad guy? Obviously the guy playing video games and watching too much TV. I mean, that's what they keep telling us. (laughs) Correlation. Okay. Uh, This is a great one. If we say that all the bad guys are not bad shots, that they are actually good shots, that there are bad guys that have good shots, what happens in those stories is that good guy dies and that story never gets completed and told to Hollywood. So the only movies that we see are the stories that are told of the good guy who survives. Oh my God. Which usually happens because that bad guy just happens to have bad aim. That's what I used to say about movies. <laughs> when something in the movie was like unbelievable and doesn't make sense, I'd be like, well, that's why they made a movie out of it. Yeah. Because it's so crazy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was always uh, my logic. This is a crazy one that I think is just wonderful. And I just wanted to, I, just, I don't know who the fuck randomly came up with this, but I'm really into it. Uh, okay. So the reason why bad guys have bad aim because guns come with a special chip that senses bad thoughts and emotions. And when it detects your bad emotions, the bullets go haywire and miss the people without bad emotions. It's the same way that Santa knows if you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> Christmas movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so ridiculous. Okay, but there is actually a good kind of explanation, right? So um, if you actually do look at this trope, the Imperial Stormtrooper Marksmanship Academy trope, uh, Basically, the whole question of like, why can the good guy just stand in the middle of a fight, not get hit, but always hit the bad guy, is that they're saying that there is actually a degree of truth in television. 
in that by far the most shots fired in firefights or combat are actually misses. Because there are some sources that report that in World War II, the average the average soldier needed to fire 200 rounds for every hit scored on an enemy. So in reality, the fictional bad guys are not necessarily suffering from an unrealistic inaccuracy. They're yeah. actually probably shooting the way a person would shoot. <laughs> it's the fictional heroes whose performance actually goes into the trope of improbable aiming skills. <laughs> yeah, well, also, some people were trained as cops or marksmen and the terrorists just yeah. have really big guns. Exactly. Just because you have really big guns doesn't mean... You Doesn't know mean how you've to been out at the it. shooting range learning how to fire it and be exactly yeah. and be a marksman. You're not, but a New York cop is a marksman. Yeah, exactly. They're trained to shoot. You know, well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the cop training was back in the day. Maybe it was you know to so maim. We can, we can let it. We can let it go for a movie like this. But I mean, obviously, the stormtroopers should know how to fucking shoot. Okay, we'll save it. We'll save it for when we finally do a Star Wars movie. No, someday. we won't do Star Wars. Never. <laughs> That's what you think. Anyway. No. Um, okay. So, we what's happening is obviously Bruce Willis is having like a bit of a shootout, but at some point he does actually manage to kill a terrorist, and he gets his hand on a radio, and this now means that he has the ability to communicate with the cops somehow, but also the bad guys can hear. And, and there's stuff that is happening with the signals that other people are hearing and stuff happens here. Yeah, radio stuff. And you know that there's so many radio gigs out there. Like it's a yeah. hobby. Radios, yeah. right. And so there are people that are on Reddit sort of like, look, here's the truth. When you know a lot about anything, it, it's ruined in a movie when they try to go into that. Because they'll yes. be like the technical advisor and then they'll be like the director being like, okay, fine, I hear you, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah. It so works it's a, if we do this. <laughs> knowing a lot about anything just ruins that thing in a movie, for sure. But, um, you know, and this is a whole thing and I'm like, wow, this is a whole thing. I, I got a little bit into it, you know, but there's so there's a lot more. So, yeah. firstly, um, emergency channels. Like, what is that, right? Right. So... Channel nine is the emergency emergency channel nine is the emergency channel on something called Citizens Band Radio in okay. the US. Now, which used to be monitored by discharge by dispatch. Um, just just as a back reference in contact when Ellie is on the radio at the beginning, this is very likely a citizens band radio that she's using. Okay. So that people use radios and whatever it is to transmit um, back and forth short range. And Channel 9 was like an emergency channel. And it used to be, yeah, monitored by people. Probably not anymore. But back then, Dispatch might monitor it as an emergency channel. Now, okay, so the thing about what he's using is that it – he's using it as if it's a mobile phone to, like, chat with someone. Right. Very likely um, what he's using is something called – a simplex system or even a half duplex system where it's able to act, find both as a transmitter and a receiver, but not at the same time. So what you actually do is you uh, receive, switch to transmission, transmit. Then they hear it, receive, switch to transmission and transmit. 
etc. And you'd go back and forth like that, switching back and forth. You don't just call like it's a cell phone back and forth to each other. That would be called a full duplex system. There's no way that what he's using is a full duplex system. But of course, if he was using it properly, it would have made a really shitty, shitty movie. Yeah. So the fact that like they seem to think that radio and we in context even we discussed that radio I mean is the signal you can re- your vessel can receive it or you can transmit it. And like this movie didn't really pay any attention whatsoever <laughs> to whether or not it was like they're just radio it's like a phone <laughs> like use it to talk. You know there's like no attention anyway to like any kind of yeah technical know-how about radio. Radio is like the wave it's not the equipment the equipment is a very specific thing and it turns out there are loads of people that know loads about this and the exact models that, that they're using like oh, wow. they know exactly what is being used exactly why none of this makes any sense but again yeah when you have a hobby it tends to ruin everything i did yeah i got a bit because that's where i got confused with it i was kind of like okay he's talking to hands and they're talking to each other but then for some reason other people can hear them, but then can Hans not hear him when he talks to the policeman? Is Hans not hearing yeah. that signal? But then is everyone hearing what Hans is saying or is everyone hearing what he's saying to the policeman? I was just like, I don't understand what these connections are mm. and how everyone is actually, what's so, actually happening here. Yeah. Like if they were talking on a particular channel, like, yeah, people can receive on that channel. Mm. If you were in the dispatch, like they, they were saying that like people as technical as people that are monitoring were like, dispatch could figure out a way to like patch into different channels or something okay they could figure it out it's like maybe possible but yeah they didn't really have any intention whatsoever to anything all right which is fine which is fine yeah like if you were a radio specialist you could figure out a way to okay do that shit um well it's it's a it's a you know it's a plot thing it's a story thing it's yeah they just do it and it means that they can communicate, which means that they kind of know. They can figure out a little bit what's going on. Yeah, pretty much, I think. Um, but one thing that I did not figure out very well about what was going on, but I now know and can explain it, is what the fuck Theo was doing with that fucking safe. Because I was literally just like, what is going on here? I thought he was breaking in, but then why is there a drill and then there's what? So... Luckily for us, a cyber security company analyzed this and actually explained it beautifully. So I'm just going to pretty much read what they said. Uh, So kind of just picking up things from the story about what was actually going on. Basically, that Nakatomi Tower has a mainframe that synchronizes with Tokyo-based servers. And then it has a computerized lock on the vault So, seven locks protect the vault. The first lock is computerized. Five of them are mechanical. And then the last lock is electromagnetic. Oh my God. How amazing. So, he has to crack the code to unlock the computerized one. And then that's why he's cutting through the five mechanical locks then. just, Just to move them, get them out of the way. And then they have to do something with the electromagnetic one at the end. He reckons, Theo says, that he'll only need a half an hour to crack the code on the first lock and then he'll need two to two and a half hours to drill through the mechanical ones. And that's why they're trying to, that's why they're holding the hostages and they're delaying by then saying, oh yeah, we're terrorists, go and release these people because they just need the time to drill through all the locks. 
apparently the seventh lock then the electromagnetic one automatically activates um at the point when the other ones have been broken well they, they, they turn maybe it's because they, they turn the whole grid off because it opens as they turn the entire grid off which is why yeah which is why they're like they're so which is why you get that gleeful theo when they turn the grid off yeah that's what he needed he needed that off to get the last lock open because it was electro electromagnetic so it opens because that's so funny because because like they cause it to open in yeah. inadvertently and the FBI is like, hey, hey, we got him. They're probably this is, miserable. And this is why they wanted the FBI, because they knew that the FBI would, would turn like, the power. What the FBI protocols would be. And one of the things they would do would be turn off the power. Cut all the power. Yeah. Are you shitting me? Ah. Oh. <laughs> clever, clever, clever. Isn't that's it? why they had to be terrorists, because they have the dumb yeah. shutting off the power. So that's why we have Theo being a code breaker with a big ass fucking drill and then being super happy about the, the power being turned off. Yeah, he could be like a safe expert for all we know. That yeah. would make sense why he'd yeah. know how to do all those things. <laughs> so there we go. So that yeah. that's why Theo's down I in the basement it. drilling shit. And while <laughs> Theo is in the basement drilling stuff, McLean is running around the construction site um, trying to trying to escape our bad guys and one of the things that he does to escape the bad guys is he straps a computer monitor and c4 to an office chair with the detonators which is just such a great scene my detonators yeah it's funny because it was like i read something where it was like what why the tv like why the chair why the everything um and someone was saying like so he's throwing the detonators down with the c4 but the detonators actually need to be sparked in order to, they need to be lit in order to work. Right. And so they were like, so then how does he light it? And the answer is like, well, it's a CRT TV. Because famously, they spark if you break them. Or oh. I should say, notoriously, that if you smash a cathode ray tube TV, they spark. Wow. And so he wraps the cord around the TV and shucks it down with the detonators and the C4 to spark it amazing that was a little theory it was like maybe it's over the top but it kind of works because those tvs like if you smashed them and if you like i've yeah. seen how many movies you see where they kill the villain by smashing the tv on their head and then like this is it this yeah. is it or it was like scream. uncle buck or whatever but they didn't scream but yeah yeah um that it would that it would spark that they were notorious that's those, so uh, interesting is it interesting? Yeah, I guess it's no, interesting. No, it really is. Because I honestly, I was just like, I was like, I don't understand why he's strapping a computer monitor to a fucking chair. Like, what is happening here? Yeah, so it's a CRT. That's really cool to yeah. know that. Oh, that's yeah. so funny as well. Because we just fucking, we brought up CRTs in, the last, in Iron Man 2. Yeah. A couple of episodes again. Yeah. Uh, ago. Um, and like other episodes as well. But that's so, that's really funny. I love that kind of stuff though then as well because I love the idea that like you could also kind of go like oh well that's not really like how would he know that and it's like can you imagine the amount of random information a New York cop would have in his brain from crime scenes? Uh oh yeah. <laughs> but you know like they, yeah they, put it you, that way then he would have yeah, seen you'd that. you'd know so much stuff you'd about know a like lot. yeah so that's really interesting. I, I think it's so it's like street smarts yeah street smarts yeah like he just knows shit (laughs) 
It makes uh, sense that a New York cop, cop out of all the cops, all the different types of cops, there'd be certain <laughs> cities that would produce a certain kind of cop in the 80s. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. So a certain type of cop that might wrap a um, fire hose pipe around his uh, body and jump off a building? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm gonna like this is this is this is the one part where it's like oh, it's a bridge too far. Yeah, I mean, I get why, and and you think that it would make sense if you didn't actually understand physics. You can look at how far he's falling, and by looking at how far he's falling and what we know, like the whole classic equations of like the gravitational acceleration, means that he's falling around ten meters in about one point five seconds. And from that, we can determine like what his velocity is, about yeah. 15 meters per second, right? Yeah. Now, if you take an estimation of how much he weighs, uh-huh. and then you think about like the weight of a falling object, and then you look at like the kinetic energy that would be in that system, if you treat him as a system, his physical body being the object wrapped around a cord, there's kinetic energy in that as it's falling. And that's related to the velocity. Classic kinetic energy equation, one half mv squared. So you can use that to find out how much energy there is in this fall. And then we can do use that to determine what the force would be on the object being his body. The force in this instance, in terms of the fall, would be equal to like the energy over the stopping distance. Now, the stopping distance... is practically nothing because it's a drop right he drops yeah he's he's at he's at a speed he's at a velocity he's dropping 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 and then he's just stop and if you had like something with stretch and some give that gives you a bit of a stopping distance so you know like when people do bungee jumps that's what happens you jump off with a bungee cord and you go down but there's a stretch in the bungee cord yes Yes, so you slow you stop over a distance yeah so it doesn't break. A fire hose pipe is probably one of the most non-stretch items possibly out there. It has to withstand pressures from water <sighs> for like, you know, to put out fires. The pressures that it has to withstand from water means it cannot have any give in it. So there's no give in this hose pipe. So that's why he doesn't really have any stopping distance because there's no stretch, there's no he's not slowing down, there's nothing to slow him down. He's just drop, immediate stop with this ho- with this pipe. <sighs> so when you work it all out, it works out to around about a force of 79 kilonewtons onto his body. And the only way I could write this down is our hero would be dead by ho ho hose. Oh no! Come on, Abby. You didn't just say that. <laughs> yes, dead by ho ho hose. So why would he dead by? It would it would it would break? It would. It pro- I mean, seventy nine kilonewtons is like about, like in terms of if you convert that back into weight, it's about a hundred times the the weight of him. So the force that he feels when he comes to a stop. That, that jerk pull that you would get from yeah. like when you do the bungee jump and you get that jerk yeah. pull, it, it would it's a hurt stretch you a lot. And it slows down. But if you yeah. if you bungee jumped like that with the thing around your ankles and a hose pipe and there was nothing to take that stretch to take any oh. of that force as you come to you'd a stop, hurt. Hurt. It, it would pull your legs off. 
Oh. It would pull you, like it would. Like oh. that, that amount of force <laughs> would just break. It would just oh, break sh- you. So he sh- would be two sh- two bits sh- in two pieces. And it because it's mean, around his waist. Same, listen, this is the same <laughs> argument as has been going on for years in the it's the it's the Superman and Lois Lane argument. It's the Superman coming at Lois Lane and picking her up at speed. And it's like if that actually happened, Lois Lane would be in two pieces. Oh my god. Yeah. It's disgusting. But do you know do, do you think that maybe like look with every action movie it's sort of like they start with sort of you know, it's good. And then as the movie goes on, it just gets more and more silly and more ridiculous until the, <laughs> the climax of the film is just something so ridiculous. You're like, all oh, right. But I think the Do thing think- is there's certain things that are going to be done in movies that <laughs> yeah. look great and are a good idea if yeah. you do, if you're going to, if you're doing it in terms of stunts, because you don't right. have to do the actual full motion. Things where you have to do the full motion of it, you won't be able to achieve it. But if you don't have to do the full motion of him actually jumping off, if the stunt doesn't involve him jumping off the building with that, um, with the hosepipe tied around his body and actually coming to a stop without any support from like a stunt team, then you're obviously not going to do it in the movie because your actor's dead. But like, I think if you can look at it and think what would happen and yeah, sure, if you had a stretchy thing, you'd probably be able to come down, maybe slow slow yourself down a bit as you come to rest and then burst through. But that's not going to look as good in an action movie. So like the theory with a different material is right. But for the purpose of the action movie, it's like, yeah, fuck it. Wrap a hosepipe around him, jump off the building. Looks great. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, well, as as I've now ruined Die Hard... With some inaccurate science. <laughs> Shall we move into our final section? And for for one week only, it's What the Gruber. What the What the What the Gruber? Okay, Frida, what is your What the Gruber moment? Okay, so the SWAT team. Yeah. Okay. Alright. The SWAT team. There's a bit where they're running through the bushes. To like get to the building, and like one of them gets pricked up, pricked by a rose bush, rose yeah. thorns, <laughs> and it kind of like he stops and he's like, "Ow!" Uh. <laughs> <laughs> They're like all running up a hill, being like, "Let's get him!" And then someone's like, "Ow!" <laughs> and I, I don't know. It's like, did they write that in just to be like this SWAT team, you know? Or was that one of the actors like ran past a rose bush and got pricked by thorns and just went, wow. And they just thought, we'll keep it in. I love the idea. Yeah, if we keep that in, it shows that the SWAT team aren't as tough as John McClane. (laughs) Nobody's as tough as John McClane. I bet you it was an accident because it's just just too good to be true. Like that was an accident and they just thought it it looked pretty good. Yeah. Rose bushes. (laughs) Uh, that was my what the fuck what's yours okay mine was just like it was just a silly thing but it's it's when he got on the radio channel to the woman in dispatch and she was just so uninterested in what he was saying on the thing and he's like how do you not question he's able to contact you on a reserved frequency and there's gunshots in the background and you're just like, sir, you're going to have to call back on it. How did you get access to this frequency? It's like, lady, maybe you should go, shit, something's wrong. It's like, Al, can you just go and like, just just do a little drive by and check? And it's like, poor Al. 
just get sent into like this fucking heist. Welcome to the party. What does he call him? Um, <laughs> welcome to the party, whatever it is. But oh, yeah, no, that, no. that whole sequence is kind of good. I love... Yeah, she's like, this is reserved. And does he say, does it sound like I want pizza or whatever he says? <laughs> I love that whole sequence that it doesn't go on for too long because I would have fucking, yeah. like, that they don't go on and on about, like, oh, what? it doesn't go on. No, he slams a body, puts a body yeah. on the car, and it's like, boom, welcome to the party. It's yeah. so funny. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That's so good. <laughs> You're going to drive away? Fine. Here, have a body something's wrong it's like what the fuck it's like yeah (laughs) welcome to my night (laughs) Um, okay that's it Frida that's it that's our Christmas episode that's our Christmas episode I feel like because it's our Christmas episode we should just um, forego our final verdicts and we should just say Frida is Die Hard a Christmas movie yes yes and Merry Christmas to you all is yeah. the other thing we should say. <laughs> Merry Rickmas. Merry Rickmas to you to all, one and, all. And a happy to one and all. I don't know. And have a happy <laughs> new year. <laughs> that was going to be a Christmas song, but it's not a Christmas song. I don't know what I just sang. What's your favorite Christmas song, Abby? Why don't you take us out? Oh. <sighs> Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. Whamageddon. 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 Do you, do you play that? I got whammed on day one. Oh. Yeah, I was really annoyed. It's hilarious. I like to play because I always win because I don't. This It's fine. <sighs> it's easy for me. Just <laughs> joking. It isn't easy for me because <laughs> you hear it in Coles. You hear it in the supermarket. Yeah. You hear it at the most random places. That's the thing. Uh, to be honest, I thought I, like I the was hymns, whammed. Abby. I thought you were going to give me a hymn. Oh no! What? I like those. Uh, away in a major. Oh, good King Wenceslas once looked out on the feast of Stephen. Silent what night. can I give him? Or as I am. Oh God! If I okay, we're stopping. We're stopping. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Well, perfect timing as well with our Christmas movie. We're now on a break for a couple of weeks. If I was a shepherd, I'll give him a Please stop. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I could mute her, but you know. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, so we're on a break. We shall be back in the new year, uh, which technically is like in two days time, but we won't be back for a couple of weeks. So (laughs) we'll, yeah. Yeah. We won't be back. We're going on a break. Yeah. We'll be back in four weeks. Three weeks off. Really? Yeah. We're back in four Not weeks. Not a normal thing. Three weeks off. Fourth week. We shall have a new episode. So three weeks. I don't know. I don't know how time works sometimes. Oh, well. What is time? Uh, Especially yeah. in December. <laughs> okay. So we're coming back uh, with a new cycle. Uh, we've switched the order around. Because Abby has a plan coming up and and in order to execute her plan she needs to go first this time around <laughs> basically <laughs> so we're starting uh, with um alien all right uh, all right yeah. so yeah so have 
uh well we can't say have a merry rickmas you've already had rickmas this is uh, on the 30th of january have a nice new year <laughs> have Our a happy Christmas new episode year was trained to busan i hope you all enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> i have to finish it god damn it so much spirit in that in that episode <sighs> so much christmas yeah. joy <laughs> okay <sighs> right so yeah we'll see you when we come back um have a lovely start to the new year be Take safe. it easy. Don't have a good holiday. Yeah. Don't don't Frida. don't sign yourself up for stupid New Year's resolutions unnecessarily. Just just. I hope you're having a nice life. time in Queensland, Frida. Oh yeah. Okay. Don't party nice too time, hard. Frida. <laughs> Frida giving messages to herself. It's not weird at all. Okay. Shout out to my shout out to my my girlfriend Frida up in Queensland. <laughs> woo woo. All right. So okay, how do you mum okay, for me? Okay, we're leaving. <laughs> Right. If you, uh, yeah. So send us some recommendations. We we obviously have lists and everything. But if there's anything you think that you would like to hear, please do tell us. And uh, you can find us on Instagram and see lots of little tidbits about the episodes <laughs> on Instagram, uh, or drop us a message. And um, and you can email us on scienceatthemovies@gmail.com should you like to. Okay. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. Cutting you so off. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm so <laughs>